Hey everybody, welcome back to the Seekers Podcast. Can't believe we're at episode 10 this week, it's just kind of flown by. Yeah. I have, a, I have a story I want to share with everyone that happened this week. Um, Lauren and I went with some friends of ours to Cracker Barrel. Uh, and we get there and we go up and they have the little, with everything going on right now, they have the, the little um, like check-in hostess desk is outside on the little porch area. And we walked up and the guy says, how many? And we said, four. And he says, okay. Um, and he like scrolls through his iPad and he says... That'll be about 20, 25 minutes. And the people that were with us weren't there yet. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. You know, they'll, they'll be here in just a few minutes. We'll hang out and look at some random stuff in here that we don't really need to buy. And, you know, no big deal, 20, 25 minutes. And so we go in and we walk around and look at everything. And we start walking around and looking at everything again. And uh, our friends get there and we're all walking around. And then we're standing there talking. And Lauren looks at her watch and she was like, didn't they say 20, 25 minutes? And I was like, yeah. And uh, she goes, it's been it's been like 45, almost 50 minutes. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go ask. And so I walked back outside and I said, hey, uh, we were looking party of four. You told us time. I said, I was just wondering how much how much longer we have here. Um, and he said, oh, it should only be about uh, 30 more minutes. And I said, you told us 20 at the beginning. Is that correct? And he said, no, it was an hour and 25 minutes. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, okay. And I just, it's like, that sounds good. I went back in and. What are you saying? What are you supposed to say? Yeah. And I went over to Lauren and I said, um, it was an hour and 25 minutes, not 25 minutes. And we were sitting there talking about it. And I I promise you, we both heard him say 20 minutes. We both heard him, you know, we were on the same page there. And somehow, I, I don't know if he didn't say the hour originally, if we missed the hour, I don't I'm not sure There's what happened There's two there. of us and one of you, and we both heard 20. Right. That's what I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, and it was, a, it was a moment of trying our patience, um, for sure. But it was also just interesting to see. I feel like that's really applicable um, to kind of kind of the Bible. Is you, you read these things or you see these stories and you hear it preached or taught or talked about or whatever, and you can hear the same story a hundred times, and then someone else is hearing the same exact thing. Or what you would think is the same exact thing, and they're they're getting something totally different from it. Or the person that's talking can portray and give a narrative in a way that they have perceived it. And even though they're giving their own account, you can hear it and hear something completely different because of the way that you have experienced different things because the way you've heard the story. Right. So you're all, everybody's coming with their own experiences. And then sometimes there's just the distractibility factor. Mm-hmm. Like, like yesterday, maybe what happened was we were both so hungry and tired of seeing Like, we didn't want to stand in the rain anymore because the hostess desk was outside that we were just, like, ready to get inside. We were like, okay, 20 minutes. Um, and maybe he said it softly and we weren't paying attention. Like... There are so many different factors that play into that, that when it comes to an account or a story, um, we may he- the very same thing may be said and everyone hears it differently. Right. So uh, today we're going to we're going to share a story um, that probably probably everybody knows. If not, you've probably heard some variation of it or or at least know a little bit of it. But we're going to share a story today um, and just kind of give give some of our perspective on it. 
Yeah, we have been talking a little bit this week about, um, and this, the story in Mark chapter five, um, it starts in verse 21 and I'm actually just gonna, I'm just gonna read it from my Bible, um, because I think there's value in that. I think there's value in you hearing the scripture and then, uh, we're gonna just kind of break this down, unpack it and talk about it because there is so much in this story that you can draw from and um, like we were saying, sometimes it's just good to take the word and talk about it and everybody's going to draw something different from it. Right. So do you want me to go ahead and get started with that? Yeah, you go ahead. So um, if you look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21, which Andrew, you probably, he made note to me this week that this story is um, in... Three of the Gospels? Correct. Is that right? Yeah, three of the Gospels. I'm in Mark, though. Um, when Jesus had again crossed over by the by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by um, the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly to him, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So now you kind of have an idea of where we're at in the scripture. Um, Jairus's daughter is ill. Um, but then the scripture continues to talk about how um, a large crowd followed and passed around him. And as they're making their way, um, and Jesus is going with Jairus to his daughter, um, a woman was there and she had been, the scripture said, subject to bleeding for 12 years and had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had she had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she just grew worse. And this woman, when she heard Jesus, she came up behind him um, in the crowd and she touched just the hem of his garment is what the scripture says. Um, and then it says, because she thought if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. So, um, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body that her body was freed from her suffering. Um, and at once Jesus realized that, that power had gone out of him. He turned around to the crowd who, and he said, who touched my clothes? Um, and so keeping in mind here that all of this is happening this interruption is happening after Jarius has said, Lord, you know, can you come to my daughter? She's dying. And so verse 31 says, um, talks about the crowd um, that was all pressing against them. And um, at that point, Jesus again asked, you know, who touched my clothes? And Jesus kept looking to see who had done it. And the woman knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling in fear, and told him the whole truth. And so Jarius is standing here, probably, I mean, how would you feel in that moment? I would be frustrated, right. probably. Um, and Jesus is taking the time to ask what happened. And she's re- recounting what happened. And um, Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And um, while Jesus was still speaking, people came from the, Jairus's house, um, and they said, your daughter is dead. Why, why even bother? Why bother Jesus any longer? And it doesn't say how Jairus reacted in Mark. Um, it just says that overhearing what they said, Jesus looked at Jairus and said, don't be afraid, just believe. 
And um, so he didn't, he didn't let anyone follow him after that. Speaking of Jesus, he didn't let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John. So he was selective um, about who was going to come with him to Jairus's house. And when they came to the home of, um, came to his home, Jesus saw all the commotion and the people crying and wailing loudly. And he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, um, but just asleep. And they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, so again, he was selective who came into the room where his daughter was, um, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, and they went where she was. Um, he took her by the hand, and he said to her, um, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. Um, and then it makes note that she was 12 years old. And at, the, um, at this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. And so... There's so much in this story that there are so many details that are accounted for that I like to look at and ask why. Why why is this part of the story? Why is this important? And so now um, that you kind of have a depiction in your mind, um, if we go back to the beginning of the story, it makes note that Jarius is a... Um, synagogue uh, like a leader of the synagogue right right so um and it actually in so if you read if you read all of the accounts of this um typically the as you read the bible and study the bible you can see especially in the gospels you can see uh multiple accounts of the same thing happening um from basically from different perspectives of of who is there and what their side of the story of what they were seeing um the interesting part about this is because of their their education, uh, maybe their family background, their culture of the particular region they were from. A lot of times in these stories is you kind of get the same gist of what's going on and you get a few different details of what's happening um, from each of their perspectives. The really cool thing about this story, I think, is that in all three of these accounts, it names Jarius as being a leader of the synagogue. Um, And not very often do you find in multiple accounts that it gives the same exact detail over and over like that. Um, and so typically when I see that, I think, okay, what was the importance of that, that, that God impressed that on them while writing, that they would re- recount that de- that detail on that specific thing to all of them include that. And um, so when I was reading, studying all three of these, um, I looked into uh, the leader of the synagogues of the first century and to see kind of what that entailed. And basically, a leader of the synagogue at that time was kind of um, an easy way to put it in, in today's terminology was like they were almost like a service planner or like a uh, like a coordinator type person. Um, and so what Jarius was responsible for is he would set in order what was supposed to happen uh, in a meeting at the synagogue or in a service, um, as we would probably better know it. And when people came to the synagogue, Jarius's entire job was to take everything that was put in order that he had set and make sure that it happens according to Jewish law. Um, and so he was he was very much probably what you could call like a uh, by the rules kind of person. He played it by the book. He he went, you know, this is 
this is what's supposed to happen at this time and this event and this is how we say it and this is what we do and we we don't defer from that and that's how he had probably worked his way to that position is just by showing that um kind of that work ethic and that mindset of you know i'm gonna i'm gonna do things how they're supposed to be done and i'm not gonna defer from that i'm not gonna change the rules yet whenever it came to his daughter's life and death his daughter was ill you see jewish people at the time still weren't convinced that jesus was the messiah they weren't convinced that he was the one that should be coming and for someone who lived and abided by the law and lived and abided by what what should be happening per what a book says he said i'm going to take all of that and throw it out the window because i've heard of a man that can do something that the law doesn't say what to do yeah i've heard of a man that can change things that there's no book that tells me how to change that i've tried everything i can i've, I've played by the rules i've read everything i can and nothing's doing it but i've heard of a man that can change what my situation looks like. And so I think that's, for me anyway, that's kind of what I pull from that. I think that's part of the importance of of why that's named over and over is for us to really get the emphasis that he's putting on. Like, this is not just a random person that said, hey, um, you know, I've heard Jesus does miracles, so I'm going to go ask him to help my daughter. No, this is someone who is stepping completely outside of his comfort zone, yeah. completely outside of what maybe even he believed. Um to say, I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to believe in faith here. Um, I think the next thing that really sticks out to me in that whole entire story is that, so from that we see Jairus goes and um, he tells Jesus, my daughter is sick, she's going to die. And it says Jesus is following him, going with him to his home. And while he's walking there, the woman with the issue of blood comes and touches the hem of his, of his garment. Yeah. And I and I know whenever you were reading it, you said, like, can you imagine how you would feel? And I just, there's so many emotions that go through my head. Yeah, and not to mention what you just said. Like, he's already putting himself, excuse me, out on the line. Like, he is stepping outside of his comfort zone. Like you said, I've read before that, like, um, the Jewish leaders of the synagogue at that time typically um, were known for their skepticism. Right. Because, like you said, like, I mean, they have status. Like, right. they have a role. They're important. And so, like, his appearance was compromised by the fact that he even went to Jesus. And then it's like, okay. Like, that was a perfect opportunity for him to slip into the crowd and be like, you know what? This this isn't for me. Or Jesus doesn't have time for my miracle. Right. And she comes up and and when Jesus stops and turns around and says, who touched me? I would, I would think, I mean, our daughter is not here yet, but she's getting close here at 30 weeks. She's on her way real quick. And I just think even from the little bit of perspective I have right now, if there was something deathly wrong with our daughter and I went and had a, a face-to-face human encounter with Jesus and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and heal her. And on the way, he stops and turns around to say, who touched me? I'd be like, dude, who cares like <laughs> why why it doesn't matter like let's go i would, i feel i feel like i would just be immediately i'd be so on edge i would yeah. be frustrated aggravated like there's so, like, there's hello. so many emotions yeah that it's like do you not see the urgency of what i'm trying to show you here and you're worried about someone touching you like yeah what's it, the big like, deal it wasn't even that she touched his body she touched the hem of his garment and he didn't ask it once he asked it twice right in the account in mark right and so it's like the first time, okay. The second time, Jesus, we gotta go. Yeah. Like, put her in her in your queue. Come back later. Find her. Talk to her. 
we have somewhere to be. Right. But I think that it's really important, like, that since we're talking about this, to just pause and recognize um, whether, I mean, we all have a miracle that we need in our life. Like, there's always something that you have in your heart that you want, that you desire, a prayer that you have. There's something that we all long for as humans that we may see the light. Like, it may seem like things are starting to turn around and, and there's an interruption. Right. And we want to be like, uh, God, did you put this on hold? Have you forgot about me? Um, you know, because a lot of times we can hear from God or we can hear a word in a sermon or someone can come and pray for us or someone can encourage us. And we were and we're like, yes, this is from the Lord. Right. Like, I know that he hears me. He's heard my prayer. Yeah. I just have to be faithful. And it's like you march out of that service. You feel like you're locked arm in arm with Jesus yeah. marching out to <laughs> kick the world in the head. And, and then as soon as you get out and Monday rolls around at work, you're like, all right, well, Jesus unhooked his arm and walked off, so now what's happening? It feels like he's forgotten. Right. And how much did Jarius probably feel like he had forgotten? Right. But I, I think it's really important to make note of Jarius's response in this. We don't hear, like the scripture doesn't talk about his frustration. It doesn't talk about his impatience or any comments that he makes. And honestly, I like to think of this as almost being a glimmer of hope for him. It's almost like Jesus maybe allowed this to happen to show Jarius that, hey, this is what I'm capable of. Like, the woman touched Jesus. He didn't even go to her. Right. You know, she initiated that miracle with her own faith. How much more when, when you know, Jesus says, yes, I'm coming, I'm here with you, should we believe that he's he is going to do the impossible. And so maybe Jarius was at the point where he had no faith left, but the miracle happening for the woman with the issue of blood that preceded his daughter's miracle was that hope that could help him hang on. Right. And I, I like that you brought up faith because one of the next things that happens is that Jesus then turns back to Jarius and he says, don't fear, but only believe. And we don't read in any three of the accounts where it says that, and Jarius was afraid, and Jarius questioned Jesus, and it doesn't say anything about how Jarius felt or how he responded or how he reacted. And Jesus turning to him, I mean, of course, Jesus knows all things, but I think the, I think the thing that sticks out to me about that is, you may not speak fear, and you may not, you may not manifest that in your words, but your body language will show that. Yeah. Jesus, it says, Jesus turned to Jarius. And then said, fear not, only believe. It's easy to to just think, you know, God God can do it for everybody else and not for me. And we don't speak that, but our body language of how we worship and how we praise and what we do, faith faith requires action. Faith requires proactive um, decisions in your life that, that cause you to push yourself outside of your comfort zone. And I'm sure at that moment that he first came to Jesus, Jarius was on a mountaintop of faith. And within just a few short minutes, when Jesus turned back to him, I'm sure he could see it all over his face. The doubt, the fear of this is taking too long. We're not going to be there in time. It's yeah. not going to happen. And Jesus saw what he was facing. He saw what he was de- dealing with. And he spoke to that. And, um, and so he goes on and 
gets to the house and he says the the people were there and they were sobbing and wailing. It's these people that are so upset because his daughter is dead. Um, and Jesus tells all of them that she's only asleep and they laughed at him. And it says that he put them out or he told them, basically told them to leave. He was getting rid of all, all form of doubt, all form of unbelief that was in, in that room or in that house or in the area there. And he went in with the parents and with the disciples. Um, and something that if you're reading the account of Mark, that it goes from the story of Jairus' daughter, it goes straight in and it talks about the prodigal son um, that so many of us know. And something that I read earlier this week that was very interesting to me is that whenever Jesus comes in to Jairus' daughter and says he takes her by the hand and says, child, wake up. And the girl stands up and is, is fine. She wasn't dead. She was sleeping. And the first thing that Jesus says is give her something to eat. Give her, yeah. give her meat. Something that's really interesting is that the, um, and I, I don't know. It's just, they kind of stick out to me is if you read the story of the prodigal son, whenever the son returns home, the father says to the servant, this is my son who was dead and is now alive. Oh yeah. Killed a fatted calf. The first thing that he said whenever whenever he came back to life was give him meat. Give him something to sustain him. Came back to life being, you know, the the source of what they saw as life. Right. Right. And it's I just think that's an interesting parallel of of Jesus brings Jerry's daughter to life and says give her meat. The prodigal son returns home and and the, the father says, kill, kill the fatted calf. Give my son meat. Give him something to eat. For me, I think that's whatever you're struggling with in your life, whatever you feel like, maybe you're, there's a part of you that's dying. There's a part of your life that's dying. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a, a family member that you've been on bad terms with. Maybe it's a job that you feel like you can't deal with anymore. Whenever God revives that for you, whenever God brings that miracle in, it's not just a miracle of fixing that problem, but it's fixing that problem and giving you what sustains you for the future. Oh, wow. Yeah. There is, um, you hear so many times the Bible talks about, and that's kind of what the story of the prodigal son is. It, the Bible talks about restoration. When you think of what restoration is, it takes what was old, what was broken, what was no good, and it makes it good again. But in the restoration process, you always gain value. If you think of a like an antique car, you go pull this rusted, fallen apart car that needs all this body work, it needs an engine rebuilt, it needs new upholstery sewn into it, and you pull this old rusted car maybe out of a barn, and you take it and you put years of time and money into it, and you restore it. At the end of it all, not only do you have the beautiful car that it once was, but the value of that car is so much more than what it was the first time that it was sold on the lot. Restoration not only gives you back what you've lost, but it gives you what sustains you for the future. It blesses you far beyond what you could have imagined. Yeah, it's just not a now moment, but it's for what's to come. Do you think that could be like a, another way of describing that is like, you know, hope for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like a hope to hold on to, to look back and to draw from. Because in life, let's be honest, one miracle isn't enough. Right. 
I mean, every single day we encounter and we face things that we need God to show up in. Right. And so it's almost like he's done it for me. I can make it. I can make it through this. Right. You know what that makes me think of um, is it's known as, I I think, the experiment or like the story of hope is um, in the 1950s, I think it was, um, Richter who did, uh, the professor who did the um, experiment with the rats and he took the domesticated rats and he put them in a tank. It's really disgusting and morbid. <laughs> like he wanted to see how long they would swim. And I can't remember exactly. I want to say it was like the longest those ones swam was like nine to 12 minutes or something. And then they died. And then they took the wild rats, which they expected to, they expected them to swim much longer because they were like, they're out in the wild. Think about all they've had to go through. Whereas the domesticated ones have been cared for and they expected those wild rats to swim longer, but they didn't. They actually only swam for like two to three minutes, something like that. And then they, they died. And so Richter looking at this situation, he wanted to know more. He was like, what caused the ones who were domesticated to swim longer? And so then he thought, well, maybe it was because they knew someone had cared for them in the past. And because they had cared for them, their owners would come and that they would pull them out and save them. And so that was kind of his hypothesis. So he tested that and he put them, um, he put the rats domesticated and non-domesticated back in the tank and he watched them. And as soon as they looked like they were about to die, to drown, he would pull them out, dry them off, give them a second to kind of catch their breath, and then he would put them back in to see how much longer they could swim. And you know how much longer they swam once they had been saved one time before? I don't. I've, I've heard about this study before, but I don't know the details of it. It was um, literally one time of being saved, and it was the domesticated and non-domesticated. Before this, domesticated had only swam. It was like 9 to 12 minutes at most. After this time, it was 60 hours, days, that's crazy. The I mean, rats swam two and a half days for days, yeah, of just swimming, and all based on hope, like that hope of, well, something pulled us out before. Mm-hmm. We don't know what it was, but if we just kept going, something, something was there for us. Yeah, and that's what they held on to. And so that makes me think of kind of what you're talking about here when he says, you know, the first thing after a miracle is eat. You know, I'm going to sustain you. This is going to be something I want you to eat on. This is going to be something that I want you to really dwell and think on because in the future, when it gets hard, I've saved you before. I've been here before and you have this hope. And so you can endure, you know, much longer when you know that God is going to be with you in the future. Right. It's like fill up, fill up on the blessings now. Because he's not going to leave you, but he, you may, you may face a wilderness. Yeah. You may face a time of questioning. You may face a time that you look back and say, well, six months ago, God healed me. But now I feel like I haven't felt him or heard him in weeks. Yeah. And so fill up while you can. Take everything that you can from that. But know that he's never going to let you fail. And he's, write it down. Yeah, Take write it account. down. And, and go back and read that and and reflect on that and know that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to, you're never going to fall apart. You're never going to fail in what you're dealing with and what you're facing, but that he will sustain you. He will hold you in that moment and he'll give you what you need and the timing that you need it. Yeah. It makes me think of the scripture that says, what do we overcome by? The word of our testimony. Yeah. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Right. Because whenever the word of your testimony is proclaimed and you've spoke it, 
and you've talked about it. Right. You can't retract those words. Like you have spoken it into existence. And so in the future, knowing that you've spoken it to somebody else, that it's been declared, I can keep going. Yeah. By the word of my testimony. Yeah. And I, I think you can, I think your testimony can also be used as a word of faith. Yeah. Maybe you're in a situation right now and you feel like Jarius. Everything was just lining up and you were like, you know what, this is, this is it. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. This is the the breakthrough I've needed. This is the miracle I've prayed about. And you feel like somebody stole your miracle. You were, you were right there on the cusp of it. And, you know, maybe it was at work. You've been struggling financially and you've been working really hard and you show up early and you feel like there's a promotion coming up. I know this person's retiring. It's a perfect opportunity. I can move right into that. And before the person even retires, you hear word in the office, oh, they hired this outside person to come in and take this position. And you think, man, I worked for this for so long. I worked for this so hard. Or maybe it's a, a family member or a child who you've had a falling out with or who has turned away from God and things have looked up in your relationship. You've been able to talk to them. You've been praying for them. They've spent time with you maybe more than they have in in recent months or years. And you look at that and you think, this is finally it. And then suddenly you don't hear from them for weeks. And you may be looking around thinking, God, why did you hand my miracle to somebody else? Why did you, I've had so much hope, I've, I've done my part, I've worked, I've believed, I've had faith. And maybe you're doubting why God put you where he did. Why are you facing what you're facing? Why is somebody else getting the glory that I feel like I've worked so hard for? Mm-hmm. But hold on to faith, knowing that God still has a plan. And he is not short. He is not a man that he can fall or fail. He has a plan and a will and everything. He does not run out of miracles. He does not run out of power. He does not run out of ways to make impossible situations possible. But that's just what he does. Yeah, that's I think who about he is. Psalms 121. He doesn't slumber or sleep. Exactly. Like he knows exactly where you are. Right. That's awesome. I love that. I love to to see the encouragement through that. That and ju- we all need reminded every single day. Like he has not forgotten you. Yeah. Um, if I could back up just a little bit in the story, um, because I, I really don't want us to miss this. I really think that everything that is in scripture is by design and is important and it is present for a reason. Absolutely. And so I want to back up a little bit and and highlight the fact that Jesus was selective about who was in the room when the miracle took place. And so if you notice, he he told the mourners and the people who scoffed in disbelief to leave. Right to leave the room, to not be there. He was selective. Even what disciples came with him yeah, and who was there and who was present during the miracle. And I think that is something that we should be reevaluating. Who do you have in your life that may be saying things in disbelief? Yeah. Who are the people that may be telling you, you know, you just need to let go of that. Like, it has been 20 years. You just need, you know, I, I don't think that that's God's will. But if God has spoken something to you, I think that we need to do exactly what Jesus did, you know, remove the disbelief. And I'm not saying we can't associate with people. Like, we don't need to have people to be part in a, part of our lives. Like, you know, some people just aren't aren't as spiritual as I am. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
um, what I'm saying is your miracle is intimate. Right. And you need to be careful who you share that with. And we need to be selective who we allow around, um, you know, those private and those secluded places in our lives because it's not a public event. It's not something, it's not a place for spectators. It's not a place for people to come and, and to watch and to have an opinion about that it's between you and God. And that makes me think of the story in Second Kings chapter 4 of the widow with the jars of oil who her husband had passed and she yells to Elijah, um, Elisha, your, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that, um, you know, he respected the Lord and, and she's so upset. And Elisha tells her, you know, how can I help you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she, um, she tells him that all she has is just a small, a small jar of olive oil. And he tells her to go around to all of her neighbors and to get jars, um, and then to go inside, and his specific instructions are go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. And so when I read that story, it makes me think about the fact that he specifically says, shut the door to your house. Go to your neighbors and get the jars, and then you and your sons go inside and shut the door. Um, and so she shut the door behind her and her sons is what the scripture says. And the miracle was performed within the privacy of her own home. Right. It wasn't a public matter. It wasn't something to um, showcase to the whole world. It was between her and God. It was something personal. It was something intimate. And so I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in a miracle being this extravagant public thing that requires all the faith of everybody in our church or everybody in our community. And everybody pray for me because I need this miracle. And the scripture does say where two or three are gathered in my name. And I right. think that that is by design. And there is absolutely power in the body and assembling together and praying for one another. But there's also a place for the privacy of your miracle. Right. And so if you feel like it's something that you've been struggling with and you feel like your miracle has just, um, you know, been something that has been put on the back burner and you're struggling, I think I want to encourage you to look around you and the people that you've shared this with. And I don't know, I think we've said before in different episodes, take 30 days. Just take 30 days and earnestly pray with a select few. And so like in this story, it was just her and her sons. Right. With Jarius's daughter, it was just Jarius, his wife, um, Jesus, and two or three um, disciples. Right. There was no one there to laugh. There was no one there to make fun. Um, but it was intimate and it was personal. And so I want to challenge you to make your miracle personal, not public, but a private matter and to go before God. And, you know, whether that's you and a spouse, you and um, someone that you really trust, like your your pastor or your pastor's wife or um, just, you know, someone that you know is going to pray earnestly with you and that this is not this is not something that, that you're taking lightly, but this is something between you and God. I truly believe that God will show up in a powerful way. Yeah. When you make it personal and when you make it consistent between you and God and nobody else, this isn't for show, then um, something powerful will come out of that. Right. Make it intentional also. I mean, that's that's the one other thing about Jarius is at the very beginning of the story. I talked about how it was very out of character for him. But he had yeah. to make a very intentional decision 
of, you know, he didn't just show up in the crowd and say, well, if Jesus gets close enough, I'll say something. Or I'm going to sit at home and if Jesus walks by my house, then I'll go outside and get him. Right. But he was intentional. He said, I'm I'm going to go to Jesus and I'm going to I'm going to put everything on the line for this. Yeah. I'm going to give up my status. I'm going to, I don't care what people think about me anymore. I'm just I'm going to do what I feel like I need to do. And so with your miracle, with your situation, whatever you're facing, don't just go to service and sit in your chair or sit in your pew and think, okay, well, if the lady in the back raises her hands three times, <laughs> then I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah. If the preacher comes and lays hands on me in the middle of his sermon, then I know that I'm supposed to be healed. No, be intentional and have faith. Operate knowing that you're a child of God. He knows you. He loves you. He sees you where you're at. He sees everything that you're facing. And he's he's not ignoring you. He's not watching you fail and laughing from heaven. But he knows exactly who you are and where you are. Be intentional in going to him. And I can promise you that you're going to see results. You're going to feel a change in your situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's awesome. I'm encouraged. I'm excited. Yeah. It gives a, gives a, there's, there's always just, I feel like so many perspectives and so many things that you can draw from this story. I feel like, I feel like we could probably go through this whole story again and there's a few more points that I could hit, but yeah, just take time this week. Yeah. This month, take the next 30 days and be intentional about your needs. Be intentional about the things that you're hoping for and have faith that doesn't make sense. Have faith that If you were to tell most people, they'd say, yeah, you're crazy. But have that faith and know that God is going to meet you there. Yeah, we'll be praying for you. Um, We appreciate all of you. We thank you again for your ratings and reviews. It helps us out a lot to reach the people that um, haven't heard the podcast yet. So um, we'll see you guys next week, and we hope you have a great week.